Blog Talk Radio. Hi, and welcome to The Art of Film Funding. I'm your co-host, Claire Papan, along with Carol Dean, author of the best-selling book, The Art of Film Funding. Carol is also the founder and president of From the Heart Productions and the host of this show. David Diamond and David Weissman's partnership is rooted in a 30-year friendship that dates back to their high school days together in Philadelphia. The partners sold their first spec script, The Whiz Kid, to 20th Century Fox in 1994. They've been very successful, and together, Diamond and Wiseman have conceived and contributed to over a dozen movies with a combined box office growth of over a billion dollars worldwide. 2019 saw the release of the partner's first book, Bulletproof, writing scripts that don't get shot down. The rare screenwriting instructional penned by writers with produced studio credits and decades of experience in the business. A practical screenwriting companion that guides writers from the initial seed of an idea through the submission of a completed script. Bulletproof also views the entire writing process from the perspective of the creative and financial stakeholders who have to say yes for a script to sell and be produced. And Carol, this book is published by your publisher, Michael Weezy, right? Yes, Claire. We love Michael. He is such a great guy, easy to work with, and he's a brilliant man. So I thank you both, David, for joining us. Good to be here. Thank you. Okay, so we have a lot to cover because this is a brilliant book. Just don't want to put it down. You know, it's so interesting and exciting. But first, I just was wondering about, since you're both writing and selling scripts so uh, successfully, but uh, do you think that you'll be benefiting from all the new streaming services? I do think that that, uh, I know that we are going to benefit from it. I think that uh, many, many writers are going to benefit from the proliferation of screening of streaming services. Um, We've just set up a a TV show at Disney plus, uh, which feels like an excellent platform for the type of writing that we do. Uh, But the great thing about streaming is that there are so many services now between Netflix and Amazon prime and, Disney Plus and the others that are coming, HBO Max and NBC Universals, uh, Apples, that uh, there are just so many platforms with different brands looking for different things. And if you're writing something really wonderful and special, there are just that many more places uh, to be a potential home for it. That's great to know. Just adding one thing that, you know, it's been – a little bit of a tough slog the last few years, uh, particularly for feature comedy writers and romantic comedy writers. And I think the hope is that this, the streaming platforms will um, will make uh, comedies again, and in particular romantic comedies. Uh, I think there's already some evidence that they're doing that, and I think um, that could really benefit people uh, who write in genres uh, that have been out of favor at the major studios for the last number of years. If they've 
focused on tent poles and bigger uh, comic book based movies. I totally agree with you. I missed good comedies, and uh, and Netflix had one a comedy that they uh, it was about six months ago when they released it, and I really enjoyed it. It was um, I can't remember the name or anything, but I was shocked that they had put so much money because there were two big stars. I think Adam Sandler was one of the stars. And it was a hit in my book, and that's uh, I'm really tough with comedy because I love the, the, the 1940s and 50 comedies, right. which were so brilliant that uh, when you compare them, I, I prefer an intelligent comedy, and that's what this film was. So good, that would be good to bring that back. Well, the next question is, is the pitching – uh, and the script submission the same to the streaming services? Are they pretty much like the old world was? Yeah, I think it's, uh, you know, I mean, it's it's definitely an outgrowth of the process that um, has evolved in the studios. Pitching is, is much more difficult now. I mean, uh, in the last really 10, 15 years, uh, development has kind of fallen on the shoulders of writers and producers without studio participation. I think that's, that's continuing. Uh, but, you know, the streamers have definitely hired uh, a large number of executives from the feature world um, to sort of run their, their feature departments. And, and uh, so I think it'll, it'll be, there'll be a lot of continuity in selling to them. What that means, though, I think in practical terms for a lot of people who may be listening to this is that if you're a writer and you want to sell, whether it's to a traditional studio or to one of the streaming services, you're probably going to have to write your script. You should not rely on pitching unless you know, you're coming in with an A-list star or an A-list director. Uh, unless you can package your movie uh, as a pitch, you're going to have to write that script. Wow. Okay. Uh, yes, I love some of the executives that the streamers hired. I'm a big fan of Ted Hope, and he's uh, making a lot of choices at Amazon now. Yes, that's correct. Yeah, that's a very talented executive. Isn't it? Yeah, yeah. he's great. <clears throat> okay, well, let's get into your brilliant book, Bulletproof. Uh, let's uh, start with the three C's. Give us some guidance on that. You say that this is something that's very important when you start to write your book. Right. So the three C's that you're referring to are what we're suggesting are the fundamental ingredients of an idea for a movie, and those are a character and a concept and a context. Those are the three C's. We tried to make it easy to remember. could have used different letters and different words but we thought that, uh, that that might help it stick. So what we're suggesting in the book is that uh, you, you can't really start writing a screenplay until you understand what the idea for your screenplay is. And that is actually a mistake, hard as it may be to believe, that a lot of writers make. They just, you know, they're full of inspiration and they're eager to get going and they start writing and they really don't know what the full idea for their movie is. So uh, we put out there right at the very beginning how important this is and what we think goes into an idea, and that is a specific person in a specific situation under very specific circumstances. And uh, that's really what you need to know even before you get started doing anything else. Wow. 
specific person in a specific set of circumstances doing something. And you really want to outline those three things so you're very clear. Right. You need to know who this character is and what is somehow broken or incomplete with this person and what the challenge is that this person is going to be facing and, uh, and the world that, that this challenge exists in. What is, you know, what's the world of your movie? You need to know. You know and what that, I really that, that, love? <laughs> Go ahead. Sorry, that I, would just, I just wanted to add one thing, that the third C context um, to us is also sort of a question of tone and, you know, what kind of movie this is because you can, you know, you can have a, a, a character and a concept and, uh, you know, um, for instance, um, the idea for, for Groundhog Day that same basic idea was done as a horror film. Uh, just, I think it was called Happy Death Day. Was that it, Dave? Yeah, that's it. Happy Death Day. Yeah. So the, that third element, um, which is you know the genre, the tone, what kind of movie it is, is 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 crucial as well. So. Right. It's the not tone. enough just to right. say I'm writing a movie about a character who's living the same day over and over again. That can be a lot of different movies depending on depending on context. Right, exactly. Well, and I would say I say too that at when you start when you start writing your dialogue, I want to know in the first four or five minutes what is the quest? You know, yeah. what is what is it they want? And so often they won't tell you that. You have no idea where we're going. Uh, I would just like a hint. It's like a murder mystery to me. Where is the proof here, and where am I going? Yeah. Sometimes okay. writers don't know. <laughs> you know, I think that uh, that a lot of us uh, we love movies. We this is a form of creative self-expression, and uh, people are very eager to jump in and get started. But um, it's like anything else. It, you know, it requires a tremendous amount of preparation in order to do it well. To do it well, yes, quite right. Well, you mentioned that some writers are afraid of telling people their ideas because they may be stolen. And I have to say, I hear this from a lot of first-time filmmakers. Um, they, <laughs> they're afraid to pitch to me even for a film grant and or to get a physical sponsorship. And I keep telling them, it's okay. Um, you're gears ahead of anybody else, so I don't think your idea is going to be stolen. But how, how do you feel about this? You know, so my, about my the, reaction to that is, is you should be so lucky uh, <laughs> to have an idea that somebody that, – that's that great, that somebody wants to steal it. That comes along uh, very rarely in the life of a writer. Um, and I think that, um, you know, the much bigger threat to a writer is um, that nearly all ideas are completely execution-dependent. Uh, and so the same idea in the hands of one writer is is will, will turn out a very different movie in the hands of another. Um, and and we're clear about this in the book. Um, that being said, you know, always a good idea to protect yourself by registering your idea with the Writers Guild of America or copywriting it. Um, better safe than sorry, but it's it's rare that. That, that a writer really needs to be so protective of the idea. 
The other thing I would add is that uh, despite the reputation that it may have and that maybe some in the margins of the business may deserve, this is a business built on reputations. I, I think I'm assuming, Carol, that this is your experience as well, that uh, you know, if you're stealing people's ideas, you're, no one's going to want to do business with you. You know, this is, mm-hmm. uh, this is a business of, of relationships and reputations. Uh, there aren't that many people who are in this business, really. It's a pretty small community. Right. So, uh, and I suspect it's true of, of not just of this mainstream studio world, but also of the mainstream independent world, that people know each other, they see each other at film markets, you know, you either want to do business with someone or you don't. And I think someone who has a reputation for stealing material is just not going to be in the business for very long. It's not to say that it never happens, but I suspect it doesn't happen as often as people may fear it happens. And, um, and it's important when you're writing something to be able to talk to people about what you're writing and to get feedback. It's, it is. It's imperative because uh, you're like this generator with all these great ideas, so you think you have a brilliant idea, but it may be a, a flop when you start to pitch it. When people listen to your pitch and then they say, okay, what's for dinner? Or where are we going tonight? That, that's a complete <laughs> turn off. In other words, okay, thank you very much, but no thank you. Correct. So, You've got to do that. And the more people you pitch, the stronger you get and the more knowledge and information. So I am very big on pitching uh, people. Yeah. One of the filmmakers I know got some money from standing in line at a grocery store when someone said, what do you do? And she said, I'm a filmmaker. And she pitched a film about uh, Greece. And there was a Greek man behind her who ended up donating several thousand dollars to her film. So there you have it. It's all about pitching, so, but yes. The lesson is always pitch in the supermarket, I think, from that experience. <laughs> Don't be afraid, right. Oh, and That's why they call it the supermarket pitch. <laughs> Absolutely. We got a million uh, of them. Oh, my gosh, it's great. But uh, I heard there were 50,000 scripts a year registered at the Writers Guild. Is is that true? Could be well, we that don't many? Work the Writers Guild. I, I don't, we don't know the exact figure, but that sounds about right. I remember when we were coming up, the uh, people were always talking about um, 100,000, but uh, wow. that was probably apocryphal. I, I think 50,000 is, 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 feels like a good number, and that doesn't include all the people that aren't registering their scripts. Um, which is probably easily another fifty or a hundred thousand. Uh, yeah. So to get a, a, a script sold, when when there's fifty thousand easily uh, written a year, uh, and there are um, I've, the max that I've heard is seven hundred films made a year, seven hundred projects. Uh, that's a very small ratio of what gets made. Well, Carol, you don't go into this business because the odds are in your favor. That's that's for sure. <laughs> right. Yeah. No, you it, have to it, love it's it. Very, it's very difficult. But, you know, I mean, the of those 50,000 or whatever the real number is, um, first of all, people should recognize that registering a screenplay with the Writers Guild doesn't have any uh, impact at all 
on whether your movie gets made or, or sold. Um, so it's just a way for you to protect yourself, which is important, but it doesn't mean anything in terms of, of your chances of having your movie noticed or, or sold or anything like that. Um, you have to write something great is what you have to do. Yes, yes. Okay, so what I tell people is if you think it's a good script, then it, then forget about it. It's not good enough. When you tell me you have a dynamite script, then I'm interested. Mm-hmm. Right. That's, that's good advice. That's great advice because um, the easiest, easiest thing to do is to send a script to professionals or whatever context you have before that script is ready and uh, the result of that would be not only is your script not going to move forward, but you've likely burned off those contacts for future scripts. So, uh, you know, there should be a registry for dynamite scripts. And hmm. that would be, you know, that would be an important resource to the, to the industry. We have um, a whole chapter at the end of the book on submission. Like, what do you do when you're done? Yes. Um, and one of the points in that chapter is you do not give your script to certainly to anybody in the business, any of your professional um, contacts until you're absolutely certain that you've done the very best that you can do on a script. You don't hand something to someone and say, I, I think it's pretty good. That's, that's just not, uh, not the way to go about it. Right. Well, it's a, it's a true three-hour investment to read a script from start Correct. to finish. That's a lot of time for people these days. So it, they have got to want to read it in the first place and then get in it and not be able to stop. That's Those two things I would think are important, right? That is important, and that's really uh, a big part of the perspective um, of the book. It's not just uh, how to get a writer through the process of writing a script, which is critically important, but it's also having in mind as you're going through that process, who's reading this script and what are they looking for and uh, how is my script going to benefit the person who's reading it because that's how things progress to production. So it's not just about, you know, what you feel like doing and what's in it for you, which is certainly important. It's also about the opportunities that you create for the people who are reading your script. And if you're not creating an opportunity for the person reading your script, it's not going to go anywhere. Right. That's exactly right. What are the benefits, which is an opportunity? Absolutely. Well, I love the book Bulletproof, and in there you suggest writers find inspiration and information in those who have come before. So tell us how you would do that and how it assists the writer. That, that's the best part of the whole process, Carol. That's, that's really, uh, you know, in, 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 in getting ready to write, and really, I mean, we devote most of the book to getting ready to write. Uh, the actual chapter on writing the script and, and beyond, that's a, that's a slim part of the book because um, that's really where the work is done. The work is done before, before you start writing that first scene. And one of our, you know, one of our principal uh, um, things that we do when, when we're uh, preparing to write something is we 
try to take inspiration and lessons from movies that um, have come before that we love or admire or have something really in particular to say about either the genre or the kind of idea we're writing. And, uh, you know, that we've always done that. And um, it can be very helpful. Sometimes, really, it's, it's purely for inspirational purposes. You might go back and watch your favorite movie of all time or, or one of your favorite movies of all time just, just, to, just to inspire you to what got you into doing this. Other times, <laughs> it's really important just to see what the models are for the kind of movie that you want to write. Um, Hollywood is it's inherited wisdom and knowledge from from you know a hundred years of, of cinematic history and we take that very seriously right this is it's also a literacy issue you know you may have in mind that you're going to write something that's really genre busting you're going to subvert you know a genre in some significant way um if you're not familiar with the movies in that genre you really can't subvert the conventions of that genre. And, and even if you're interested in honoring, you know, the genre and its conventions, you, you have to know the movies. If you were going to write a romance novel, you wouldn't set out and write a romance novel without ever having read a romance novel. But I think that, that movies are, are the same way. You really need to know uh, if you're going to contribute to the conversation, the ongoing conversation that's taking place in the movies at all times, you need to know what's come before you. Exactly. Do you uh, guys see a lot of movies? <laughs> that's all we did growing up. <laughs> yeah, I say that's it's a good question. I mean, uh, to be completely candid, I don't see as many as I used to see because um, there's not as much out there that really interests me. I'm not a big comic book guy. So uh, I, I've watched like a lot of the, uh, with the Marvel movies, I've seen the origin stories, the first ones, but, you know, after a while I kind of tune out. Um, so the movies that we grew up on and watched together and love, uh, they're not made as much now, although I think that, uh, to get back to your first question, I think that with streaming, um, some of these kinds of movies, uh, like original movies, are coming back. Uh, and that's very refreshing. So, um, you know, there's always that. But uh, I keep a list of movies every year that I see that I like to remind myself that I, I still like movies. Uh, <laughs> and by the end of the year, it ends up being like a pretty healthy list. But I don't think that I see as many movies now as, uh, as we did when, when we were starting out. What, do you, Dave? Um, well, no, uh, you know, I, I, when I was young, I had nothing but time on my hands and now I have kids and, and a family and a wife. And so you end up actually seeing more films, uh, with your kids than, you know, you probably would, would, would go to on your own. I, but you know, what I do find is that the algorithms that, um, streaming services use are pretty effective. So, you know, I'll watch a movie on Netflix and then, you know, there'll be 10 other movies suggested to me. And oftentimes I'll, one of them will be something that I want to watch. So I would say that um, I've watched many more older movies than um, I was, you know, five or 10 years ago because there's access mm-hmm. uh, and it's much easier than, than, you know, when you had to go to Blockbuster and get the movie. But, 
uh, I agree with Dave. I think that um, there's just fewer and fewer films out there that uh, really appeal to um, me. And, uh, you know, this time of year is one of my favorite times of year because those films start to be released into the theaters. And um, um, it's exciting to, to sort of, you know, wait till, till this time of year to see them. It is. It's fun. This is my favorite yeah. time of the year. Yeah. But from yeah. what I have heard uh, that goes along with what you've just said, Rain Man, which was uh, the top grossing film one year, as well as the Academy Award winner, would not be made in today's world. Well, I just watched that on Netflix. Um, uh, and, uh, you know, it's, it's a masterful film. I, you know, I, I, I've forgotten, like in so many, I, you know, it was, it was one of those great um, commercial dramas that uh, seemed to just do so well, you know, 20, 25 years ago. The movie really does hold up, uh, although, you know, it's interesting because we, we do know so much more about autism now, and I think people, in particular parents, have a, have a much more um, uh, wide-open experience of it, uh, and, and yet that kind of film rarely gets made today, uh, a star-driven drama, certainly not of the scale that that movie was made, and it's certainly with, that, with the release pattern of a blockbuster. I mean, you might make a film like that now for uh, $10 million uh, and, and release it uh, in a platform situation where, you know, trying to get Oscar buzz, but yeah, it's a different world. Different world. Isn't it? Amazing. Yeah. Well, in Bulletproof, you say, quote, Hollywood is looking for a fresh new voice that they can then hire to write installments of familiar franchises. So tell us about that. Well, well that's just, I, I think that's just true. Uh, you know, I, Hollywood really is looking for um, new voices all the time, but they're not necessarily interested in making the films uh, of those new voices. They want the, those new voices to sort of contribute to their existing franchises. It's ironic and, um, and, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't produce those great kinds of films that we were used to 20, 30, 40 years ago that we were just talking about. But that is sort of, um, that is sort of the way things go. And, 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 you know, it's, it's great for new writers because Hollywood is always looking for new writers. Good. But it's good to know that they're going to put you on their own things more than take what you've got. Right. Right, that's nice to understand where the industry is. Now, I love that section on what's your movie about versus what's your movie really about. <laughs> so give mm -hmm. us some details on this, please. So that comes up in the chapter, I think, that, that we write about uh, putting the story of your movie on a single page, um, which is meant to be, sort of a roadmap, a basic roadmap for the process going forward. And one piece of that is, you know, what your movie is about 
that's your story. That's that's your movie idea. It's your three C's. It's your character and your context and uh, and your concept. That's how you would describe your movie to somebody if they asked you, what are you working on? What your movie is really about is the theme of the movie. Uh, it's underneath the, uh, the plot and character, underneath the story is, what are you really saying with this movie? It's the dramatic argument that you're trying to make as a writer by telling this story. So it's sort of a deeper level of understanding your movie. And sometimes it takes a little longer to get there. Uh, people get inspired by different things to, to write what they're writing. Maybe it's a character that, uh, that you want to write or you get an idea for a situation. Maybe it's a high-concept situation that seems really funny or scary or whatever that is. Um, people come at this from all different places, and some people, I guess, also may come from a place of uh, theme. Like, I know what I want this movie really to be about. It's going to be about the justice system, and, you know, and they sort of build around that. But the point is that you need all of these things. You need to know what your movie is about story-wise, and you need to know what your movie is about thematically in order to really deliver on, on your script. Well, that's brilliant. Well, okay. I, we're probably not the first ones to say it. <laughs> I, I don't no, know I think we may be. Yeah? This was a breakthrough. This was okay. a genuine breakthrough. <laughs> uh, well, I do, think, I do think it's interesting that, you know, um, we recognize that writers come at their movies from, from many different angles. And some writers are plot-driven, some writers are theme-driven, some writers are character-driven, and some writers do it differently every time. It's always a battle. A movie is always a, a, a battle between the, the, what the movie is about versus what it really is about. And it's always a process of discovery, I think, for the writer uh, as they're writing it, and then hopefully for the reader as they're reading it, because that's what, that's what gives your movie dramatic tension. That's what, you know, you, if it's just plot, people are going to be lost because, A, they'll probably be ahead of the plot anyway. But you, you really do theme is so important and and it's 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 such a way that that a reader will hook into your story and and relate to your story so um it's it's definitely one of the most important things that we highlight in the book i was watching just last week i rewatched the movie the verdict do you remember that movie carol the paul newman yes, movie loved it the, the director so, great it's great uh so the, another movie that would not be made today but, you know, the star-driven courtroom drama, you're not going to see that in the theaters now. But uh, it's such an incredible movie with a script from David Mamet. And there's a great line in that movie when uh, Paul Newman is talking to Charlotte Rampling in the bar, and he says that the courts don't exist to give us justice. They, give us, uh, they exist to give us a chance at justice. <laughs> and uh, and that entire you know if you were describing the movie the verdict to somebody you wouldn't say oh I uh, saw this incredible movie it's a meditation on justice and corruption I mean that's true <laughs> that's true but that's not the way you would describe the movie but you know without understanding that level of the movie without understanding what the theme of the movie is and the debate throughout the movie uh between you know quest for justice and the forces that uh sometimes conspire against justice money and corruption uh you know you you have none of the power of that movie 
So that's really what we're talking about in that chapter, and that's what we mean by the difference between what your movie's about and what your movie is really about. That's good. Well, tell me, where can people buy Bulletproof? Everywhere. Uh, you should be able to buy it everywhere. You can always get it on Amazon. But uh, Bulletproof is available online and in stores. And if you can't find it at your local bookstore, if you have a local bookstore, you should ask for it. But, uh, but it's certainly available also, online. Barnes & Noble, Amazon, available. anywhere. Okay. Uh, also available at the, at the Michael Weezy site. Uh, yeah. Correct. Yeah, MWP.com, right. Michael Weesey Publications. It stands for MWP.com, right. Okay, now let's get into the nitty-gritty here. This is really important because you've got to understand I read about 600 applications or applications for physical sponsorship or for my grant. And so getting me to me with your concept is the key to, to a good one-page uh, written piece. And that's what you're talking about, creating um, this one page. Many producers tell me that not everyone reads a script, but everyone does read the one-page synopsis. Yeah. And to me, that's the most important part of closing the money man and closing grantors, what's the story, Richie? You know, we're back to lovers and other strangers now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that, uh, again, that's, that's, there's a chapter in the book about the, the bulletproof one-pager, and, and uh, the idea there is there are really two purposes for uh, behind being able to encapsulate the main points of your story in a single page. And the first one is for the benefit of the writer to have a roadmap to follow that, that can keep you focused as you're writing your screenplay. But the other advantage to being able to uh, reduce your story to key points on a single page is that at some point in this process, somebody's going to have to walk into their boss's office and say, you know, I just read something and this is what it is. And they're going to have to be able to encapsulate that in a brief period of time. And the more that you can exert some control or influence over what they say in that conversation, the better off you are. So the idea is to, uh, to be able to create a page that basically sums up the essential ingredients of your story uh, that can be then used in situations just like the one you're describing, when people are thinking about financing something, buying something, uh, so they know what it is even before they've read. Eventually someone's going to read the screenplay. Certainly in the, uh, in the studio world, movies don't get made without, uh, without the people who are buying them reading the scripts, but uh, it does take, um, it takes surviving this process of script readers and assistants and development executives uh, being able to describe what a screenplay is about before it ends up being read by someone who actually has the authority to spend the money to buy it. And right. it, it speaks to the issue. It speaks to the issue of preparation, really. I mean, uh, you know, the intention is not necessarily to um, to, to show people this one pager. Um, before the script is written, although that's 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 possible to do. The point really is is that if you have done the steps that we lay out in Bulletproof to compose this one pager, 
your film will benefit from it. It will not be a meandering story that's completely plot-driven from place to place. It will recognize that, as we say, an idea has context and character and concept. And And essentially, the tool may be the script will then be easier for somebody else to be able to summarize in one page. Uh, you know, an assistant, an executive. The point is that it's a fundamental step in preparing your script, and if you've done it right, it will make your script more bulletproof down the line and allow it to pass through the various gatekeepers that, you know, maybe don't have the time to read it. This is the thing I don't think people realize is the gatekeepers and how difficult it is to get from one gate to the next gate. Uh, And uh, that's why your script has to be a dynamite script to start with so it can hold up. And and that starts from all of the pre-work that you have outlined in your book. So let's get to uh, building characters because you cover building bulletproof characters and that's what I'd love to hear about some ideas on that. Yeah. So our, our approach uh, <laughs> to building bulletproof characters, you know, once we've laid out our story in, in the most basic terms, uh, what we do, and, you know, it's important to understand here to say, for us to say that, you know, this book is not like these are the rules that everyone must follow, and if you follow these rules in this way, you will sell your screenplay for a million dollars. This is not one of those books. This book is, you know, we've been doing this for about 25 years. We've had some success doing it. We support ourselves writing movies, and we've gotten our movies made. And this is just our process. This is how we do it. So we're explaining to people what we do and why we do it that way. In the, in the chapter that we write about building characters, uh, our own process is that once we have a basic understanding of our story, we make a list of our characters, and these are our, our main characters, our secondary characters, even down to the tertiary characters in the script who may only have three or four or five scenes in the movie. And we look at the story of our movie from each of those characters' perspectives. What does the story look like to them? What are the stakes for that character? What's their investment? And our experience has been that by doing that, we end up with much more dynamic scenes throughout the movie because you know in every scene that you write, you know, who's populating this scene? What is their unique perspective in this scene? Uh, and you just arrive at, at a much more dynamic scene if you have that information. If, you're, if all you really know is the point of view of your protagonist and, and maybe the antagonist and not much else, well, that's, that's going to be a pretty bland screenplay. So uh, that's, that's how we do it, and, that, and that's why we do it. You know, well, the system – yeah. I'm sorry. The, the system is, as Dave says – Bulletproof isn't a isn't a system that you know everyone must follow, and the promises then you will you will sell your script. Rather, it's an approach and a recognition that um, in order to move your script down the line, and we're once again talking about these gatekeepers, and Hollywood is full of them. There are people whose job it is essentially to say no. They say no every day, all day. Um, And what we're essentially saying is in our career, we have managed to defy the gatekeepers 
um, over the course of 25 years. And one of the ways I think we've done it is by um, attempting to construct a script around not just, you know, one character in this situation, but trying to see the film as an interplay, an argument between many characters, among many characters. And, uh, you know, a script that, 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 that is seen as rich, uh, a script that is seen as, um, you know, nuanced and, and, and offering, you know, those sort of different points of view from the characters has a better chance of, of making it through. It has a better chance of hooking one of these gatekeepers to pass it up down the line to the, to the next one. Uh, so it's, it's really crucial, and it's one of the things that I think, you know, we've, we've gotten some of the most positive feedback on from the book, uh, something maybe that, that a lot of writers aren't doing that, um, you know, could become uh, sort of an important step in their process and probably should become an important step in their process. So, uh, yeah, it's – I think it's, also it's, 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 I was going to say, I think it has kind of a domino effect, too, because it ends up bolstering the theme of your movie. If, you know, if your movie is, you know, a meditation on some, some theme, whatever that may be, love or justice or hope or faith, whatever it is, uh, and you understand where each of the characters in your story falls on the spectrum of belief in whatever it is you're writing about, you're going to deliver much more effectively on the theme of your screenplay. So, yeah, it's, it's about building strong characters, bulletproof characters, but it's also about delivering on your theme. And it's also about uh, writing better dialogue because, you know, if all you know is the point of view of, of two or three characters in your movie and the others are just kind of like placeholders, they're, they're filling a role but uh, not much more than that, well, you know, the dialogue of those characters is probably not going to be terribly distinctive. It's going to be kind of bland. Uh, That is not a bulletproof screenplay. But if you really understand the perspective of those characters, then it allows you to hear the words that are coming out of their mouths much more clearly and uh, and distinctively and, and to deliver on the dialogue in the script as well. And it reflects, I think, a fundamental truth of human beings, which is everybody sees the story from their own point of view. I mean, you're living your life from your point of view. So, you know, do it to think about a movie like Casablanca and, you know, tell that story from Louis's point of view or from Victor Laszlo's point of view. It's a completely different movie. Could be, you know, just as interesting or maybe not just as interesting, but it's a great exercise, I think, to, um, Understand that even you know every character in your your screenplay should be as fully fleshed out as possible, should be as three dimensional as as possible, and it's a great way and a, a great thing exercise to do as you're going through your your script. Right. Well, that you know that probably is why some of these better films um, you feel like. I mean, there's so much tension in a scene that it's like, ah, oh, thank God that's over. And you take a breath and you're ready mm-hmm. for the next scene because it's either it starts out with a lot of tension and it releases it when it's over or it starts and builds to tension during the scene. And those are some of the best films out there where you, uh, you're holding your breath, literally. Sure. 
And I think that's true, by the way, whether you're writing a small independent drama or you're writing like a huge tentpole movie. I, I don't think it matters. Uh, you know, a really great script has characters that, you know, a writer that understands the points of view, perspectives of every character in that movie. Um, you know, whether you're Kenneth Lonergan uh, or, you know, you're writing, uh, you know, Star Wars. Uh, it's just a critical, critical component of writing a great screenplay. Right. Totally agreed. Well, let's see. You have a chart in the book. Now, I've never seen it before. Um, You say once you have your structure and your characters, then you create a chart. So tell us what goes into this chart and why you don't want them to write their script until they have this chart finished. Well, this is this this is really what we're talking about. This so this chart, and I I think in the book the uh, the we use Star Wars as the example in this book, and we chose that movie because it's it's a film that most people are familiar with, and uh, sort of chart the uh, the story of Star Wars, and this is the story as it would be expressed on the one pager. So it's reduced to you know seven, eight, nine, ten uh, points. Uh, plot points in the story and we view that story all the turns and escalations in the story from the perspective of each of the characters going all the way down the line uh, and we create a chart uh, you know following on one axis the uh, the plot points and on the other axis the uh, the characters and um, that is sort of the method that we use that's the method that, that David and I use and that's the one that we're suggesting to uh, allow writers to uh, to help writers as a tool to uh, to see their story from the various perspectives of each of these characters. That's the uh, that's the tool we're suggesting and, and demonstrating in the book, which apparently was kind of unusual. I, I mean, that's we've been doing it that way for 25 years. We have notebooks filled with charts and. Uh, I don't. I don't know if anyone else does them or not, but they they work for us. They're extremely helpful to us, and mm-hmm. uh, that's why it's in the book. And people who've read the book have seemed to really have responded to it, and and uh, so that's very nice. I think it's a yeah. good idea. Not- I mean, it's clearly it's very clear. It, if there's any thought in your mind going forward, if you want to make a major decision, go back and read that, and that, the answer is there. You've already given it to yourself. Yeah, that's the idea. That's exactly right. And not listen, not every film is an ensemble film, but every film has an ensemble. I mean, even you know, my dinner with Andre, uh, that chart would be you know uh, obviously uh, only have have two two characters on on one of the on one of the axes, but axes. But the point is that um, you know it really adds to clarity from from every point of view and ultimately I think will really help you write your protagonist by understanding that um, each of the characters in the film has a point of view on the action of the film. Uh, You know, it, it, it was, it was, it came out of sort of one of the most uh, fundamental epiphanies we had in our, um, in our process. Uh, And, um, we think that you know it is, it is the thing that's probably commented on, commented on most, 
by people who have who have read the book. So um, yeah, that was uh, that that was it's it's really something that that's helped us. We hope it helps other people. Yes, I'm glad you shared that. That was wonderful. Well, now I want you to share some brilliant information on creating dialogue because I think for uh, emerging writers, uh, that's the big problem. Getting some act, some realistic dialogue, something that's always moving the film forward, uh, and the dialogue that fits the character because I can't help it. Sometimes I'm watching these films from Netflix or uh, Amazon or whatever. And I think, you know what? That character wouldn't do that. That's You just lost me. That's the dumbest thing I ever saw. And that's it for me. I'm out of the film. <laughs> right. Uh, you know, I think these issues are all really of a piece, that uh, writing effective and compelling dialogue, you know, like we said, it's about understanding where your character is coming from with respect to the story that you're telling, uh, both the action of the story and the theme of the story. And if you don't know where your character is coming from, then the dialogue is just kind of arbitrary, uh, or maybe what you think as a writer is something you've always wanted to say or something that you think is clever, but not necessarily something that's going to serve the story. So, um, you know, our our uh, strong feeling is that dialogue should be distinctive among characters in a movie. They shouldn't all talk the same. Uh, we don't all talk the same as the people in our lives, our families, our friends. Uh, and your characters shouldn't all talk the same either. And uh, we don't all see the world the same way. Um, so that should be reflected in dialogue as as well. The other, I think, you know, helpful tool that uh, is uh, certainly not unique to us is to, to cast those characters in your mind, to have in mind an actor uh, that you can imagine playing that role, and that can also be very helpful in, uh, in livening dialogue up and making it feel uh, just sort of elevating dialogue. And that's, you know, that's, that's actually very organic to the approach of the book because down the line an actor is going to have to read your script and say I want to do this and actors are very sensitive to dialogue uh, you know it's often the thing they hook into most and uh, if your dialogue doesn't sound realistic if it doesn't sound like a, a, like the character that you want it to sound like you're not going to you're not going to get your movie cast and it's a, it's an essential part of the process. So, you know, it's really all about, as we say, writing a script with the future history of the script in mind. And a bulletproof script is a script that can pass each of those stages. Um, so this one is, is, is crucial. Okay. You uh, also say keep your story simple, your characters rich, and the stakes of your story high, and the action unpredictable. This I really like. Is when it comes out of left field. I had no idea. I love that when I'm shocked. So um, those are great ideas, and you've got all of that backed up in the book. I think you've done a really good job of that. But I think it's important that you just let us know 
uh, the rules behind simple story, rich characters, stakes are high, and action unpredictable. That's where you want to go, and, and in reading your book, they should find a highway to take them there. Is that right? That is right, and I think that we were, you know, in writing the book, uh, some of, a lot of this is about sharing our process. I think that some of it we're also writing to ourselves as writers. This is a little bit like, uh, you know, the book is a letter that we're writing to ourselves. And, in fact, uh, since writing the book, we have been more diligent in following uh, our own advice uh, <laughs> and, and, frankly, to, to, very, to really great effect. Um, we, we wrote a script before we wrote Bulletproof um, that uh, we really liked and our representatives really liked. Uh, and after we wrote the book, we took a second look at it and asked ourselves, is that script Bulletproof? Did we really do all of these things as diligently as we're suggesting other people should be doing them? And uh, we went back and we, we changed some stuff. Um, we just felt like, you know, we sort of do this process almost by rote because it's what we've been using for so many years. But writing the book was very helpful to us in reinforcing what we're doing and even more specifically why we're, what the purpose is of doing it this way. And so we rewrote the script and we set it up. Uh, so uh, whereas I, I don't know that we would have before that. So it was very effective. One of the mistakes that we sometimes make is when we're starting to figure out the movie, we kind of overplot, you know, just I think out of anxiety that, you know, maybe there's not enough story in this movie. Maybe it needs to be more complicated. It's, you know, there's not enough there. I think that probably a lot of writers write from that place of anxiety of always sort of adding more and reaching for more story. And the truth is that uh, if you're adding plot that doesn't drive the essential story and theme of your movie forward, that plot is extraneous and will probably have exactly the effect, Carol, that you were talking about earlier, where the reader gets there and just says, I'm out. I'm not not interested in this anymore. This is not compelling to me. And this entire book, the goal of, of, of this book, is to help writers write scripts that will be read from beginning to end. That's really the idea. Don't lose the reader. That's the goal. Don't lose the reader. And and one way to lose the reader very quickly is story that is extraneous. It's just a misconception. Dave, I really agree that, you know, you give your script to somebody and you think they're going to read it the whole way through. And it's rare that somebody will read a script the whole way through. Like an industry professional, the way most, read is uh, they read it until they're not interested anymore. And that could be five pages. It could be 20 pages, 30 pages, 60 pages. Uh, you know, when, when they stop, when they're, when they stop being engaged, they put the script down and they may not come back to it. They probably won't come back to it. So you really do have to keep them uh, engaged the whole way through. Um, it's, it's, it's crucial. And, and, if you've got them until page 90, you still don't have them until 120. You know, it's, <laughs> right. you, ha- you have to keep it up. And uh, a bulletproof script is one that an executive won't, won't put down and can't put down. Uh, and not just because uh, he's your mother's cousin or, you know, really, it's because, because they're really engaged and want to 
want to see the script through to the end. The truth is that people who read scripts in Hollywood, they want to finish the script. They they really do want to love it. Um, they want to read it. They want to love it. They want to walk into their boss's office and say, you're not going to believe what I just read. You must read this. You have to read it tonight. We should buy this. That's something that people want to do. You can make that person a hero by giving them a great script. But the truth is that it doesn't happen that much because most scripts are really not great and are not going to make that person a hero. And so, you know, when they're reading one of those, they, uh, these are people who are reading a lot and they have jobs to do and they probably have, you know, spouses or partners or families too and personal lives. And uh, if they get to, to, you know, page 7 or page 12 or page 45 or page 95 and you've lost them, then, then they're out. Right. Exactly. It's a critical thing. Well, thank you both so much for your time and, and your energy. And thank you for the creativity and the support and guidance that you put into Bulletproof. We thank you for hosting this talk. We really appreciate your having us on, and uh, and we really hope the book is helpful. It's uh, that is really why we wrote it, and uh, we hope that people find it helpful. Great. Well, uh, definitely, I'll be recommending it. We do an intentional filmmaking class, and where we set our goals and move their projects forward. So I think this is required reading now. So That's great. <laughs> yes. Well, it's nice to meet two writers who've been writing all these years, and you met each other when you were young. This is a great story in itself. Mm-hmm. Yes, it is. We like it. Yes, it is. <laughs> great story. Well, thank you so much for giving us all this advice and time, and best thank of luck to you. Thank you for having us. Yes. You're That's welcome. It. All right. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Bye now. All right. Thank you both. Uh Be well. Thank you. Now, in its second edition, Carol Dean's popular book, The Art of Film Funding, has 12 new chapters to cover all areas of film financing and how to avoid expensive pitfalls. Learn how to start with an idea and end with a trailer. How to make an ask for money. Create your story structure and your trailer legal advice, fair use, successful crowdfunding, how to ask for music rights, and what insurance you can't shoot without. Available on Amazon under Carol Dean and at FromTheHeartProductions.com. I want to remind our listeners that David Raiklin is a brilliant and talented award-winning musician who scores films and can compose music for a trio or for a full orchestra. David is a very good friend to the independent filmmaker and comes highly recommended by From the Heart Productions. If you need music to help tell your story, please contact him at davidraiklin.com. That's David, R-A-I-K-L-E-N dot com. And Carol and I want to thank you for tuning in to The Art of Film Funding. Please visit our website at fromtheheartproductions.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter. Good luck with your films, everyone.